Right, good evening, church. Okay. I uh, hope I'm not too loud. Uh, it's always a privilege to be able to bring God's Word to you. You know, this year our theme is on outreach, and that is why we talk about the love of God. And we began with the greatest love story ever told to give you an overview of the, really the Old Testament uh, of God's redemptive plan. And this season, we are in the Psalms of Lament. Some of you may wonder, you know, see why we always preach all the very difficult texts, you know. Who wants to listen to Lament? Lament like no hope. Why do we do that? I think it's because um, I want to be able to not just give you the good parts of the Bible, but the best parts. The best parts is when the circumstances of your life uh, fall away, you know, you find that you have a firm foundation to stand on, and that is the Word of God. And often when we deal with this uh, text, right, it's, uh, it's difficult, and therefore we are forced to really deal with them. Uh, we are not just dealing with the milk, but really the bones and the meat of Scripture for us to chew on and to build our faith. And so we go into this series on Psalms of Lament. Um, let me read the Psalm today, which is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within you. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from the Mount Marcia. Deep calls to deep at the south of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we pray even as we open your word, you pour forth abundantly the love of God in our hearts, that we see Christ lifted up. And Father, Lord, you, glor you glorified. We pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Dr. Jeremy Chu lost his wife to an aggressive form of cervical cancer in August of 2018. His whole world came crashing down because, after all, they spent 22 precious years together, complete with two teenage daughters and a common passion for the Chinese people. In fact, they spent five years as missionaries 
and that country. They were in transition to teach in a seminary. He was going to teach Old Testament while she uh, biblical theology. But all their plans were thrown out of the window. And even today, after several years, the pain is still real and raw. He says, through teaching the Old Testament, I'm familiar of the Bible's teaching on suffering. I'm familiar with the story of Job. But it's only when I went through my personal journey of grief that the Bible stories hit home. And through the Old Testament, I learned an important lesson. That it is okay to lament to God. And you know he wrote a song, a Chinese song from the Psalms that said, I raised my eyes to the hills, but my help didn't come. When will I leave this valley of tears? Of the 150 psalms in the Psalter, more than a third are psalms of lament. Some of them end with hope and vindication. Others end just like that. They end with quiet desperation. But the fact that we are able to lament is an act of faith. And so he said, I don't, if I don't believe in God, I wouldn't cry to him. The fact that I lament to God means I believe he's able to do something about it. If we believe God is able to do something, and that is why we lament. Have you experienced your own grief or challenges? A loss of a spouse and suddenly you find yourself being the only parent. A loss of a child. When time may pass, you know, but you never get over that loss of a child. A loss of a parent. A loss of a relationship, of a career. Or maybe you move to a different country or a different school and suddenly you, all your friends, you lose all your friends and your identity. We become, we feel this despair. Or it could be just the pressures of life, the circumstances, voices that say that, you know, no one loves you. You're stupid. You're not worthy. How do we respond to these voices? Can we still worship God? A theologian, Fredicio Villanueva, he says, many Christians seem to feel that somehow it can't be right to complain to God in a context of corporate worship when we should all feel happy. There is an implicit pressure to stifle our real feelings because we are urged by pious merchants of emotional denial that we ought to have faith. Do we have space to lament? You know, Scripture tells us at the end, everything will be okay. Right? If it's not okay, it's not the end because God will deliver us in this life if not in the eternal life. However, friends, from here to then is a process. It's a journey. And on this journey, it is okay not to be okay. But of course, we know we are not okay, but we don't just indulge in, in that feeling of despair. Scripture provides a way out. And so we go through the Psalms of Lament. Today, Psalms 42. Now, thankfully, these Psalms of Lament, they are only 30%, okay? They are a minority. Okay, we can praise God. We can give thanks to God. But we want to understand why we are feeling like that and how do we respond. 
And so from Psalm 42, you'll see the challenge that the psalmist faced. Secondly, the solution he recommends. And finally, our response. Alright, what's the challenge that he faces? Secondly, the, uh, how, how the solution he gives us. And then finally, how we should respond. And so the psalmist asks, where is God when I am in despair? You know, Psalm 42, Psalm 43, they are actually together uh, as one psalm because there's this repeated verse. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And where, why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Let's appear at verse 5 of 42, which is in the middle. Verse 11, which is the end of the psalm. And then in Psalm 43, verse 5, which is the end of Psalm 43. So it sort of gives us the frame of Psalm 42 and 43. 42 is a lament. 43 is a prayer. And despite praying and, and praising God, at the end, he ends with this, Why are you in despair, O my soul? He talks to himself and he says, I will praise God. I will praise God despite the circumstances. Psalm 42. For the choir director, a kill of the sons of Korah. Sons of Korah are the Levites in charge of the temple worship. A kill is a contemplative song to help them to reflect. And it begins, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I appear? When shall I come and appear before my God? The sons of Korah, they were longing for the presence of God. They were away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, and like an animal thirsting, looking for water, they are thirsting for the presence of God. Have you ever thirsted before? Experienced this thirst when you go and work out, you know, you're thirsty and you want to drink. He says he desires this for the presence of God. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? His enemies are mocking them. Where is your God? You say you believe in God. Where is He? Further down in verse 9 and 10, which really is a mirror of verse 1 to 3, it says, I shall say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppressions of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. What they say all day long, where is your God? Have you ever asked this question, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Because friends, you know, when we, are, we find ourselves in those situations, in despair, in pain, sometimes it's not that we need an answer, a solution. What we need is the presence of God. What we need is to know that God has not abandoned us and He's still there. Now, why did the sons of Korah write like this? See, the background of this psalm is, of course, King David running for, away for his life. He said, well, again. Last week, he also ran for his life, right? That's why he wrote Psalm 57. But that was his running away from King Saul who wanted to kill him. Here, he's running away from his own son, Absalom. You see, Absalom killed his own half-brother, Amnon. Because a few years before that, Amnon raped a sister of Absalom. David, being their father, probably didn't deal with this situation well. And so Absalom kept that hatred in his heart. And when he had the opportunity, he killed his own half-brother and then he ran away. But David loved his son. He wanted Absalom to come back, but he didn't approach him directly. 
through a middleman, he arranged for Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. And yet, he did not see his son at all. Didn't talk to him, didn't hug him. He just kept him in cold storage somewhere in Jerusalem. And that turned the, son, the heart of his son. Absalom decided to do something. He, he stood at the gate of Jerusalem every day. And when people came to look for David for help, he would tell them, you know, the king is too busy enjoying himself. He cannot help you. Let me help you. And so he won the hearts of the Israelites. And when time came, he usurped his father's throne. David had to run for his life. Not only that, he, Absalom did something unthinkable. He brought all David's concubines because he couldn't bring them with him, right? He brought them up to the, to the rooftop and slept with them in public. You see, if you are living in Jerusalem at that time, you think, you know, how, who am I going to follow, David or, or his son? But maybe it's a family feud, right? Maybe down the road, they will make up. And if I choose a side, and then they make up, what am I going, what's going to happen to me, right? So Absalom showed the world that his relationship with his father is broken. They are never, there's no turning back by sleeping with his, David's concubine. And so you need to make a choice. You choose me or my father. And yet, despite all this, you know, David still loved his son. And so he fled. And as he was leaving Jerusalem, he ran into Shimei, which is a servant of Saul. And the servant of Saul mocked him. David said to Abishai, his general, he says, Behold, my son, Absalom, who came out from me, seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite Shimei? Let him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him. He faced this mocking. And then they ran off to the north, to the mountains of Jordan uh, in, the, in the north, hiding in the caves. And the sons of Korah probably followed David. And they wrote this psalm, Psalm 42, longing to go back to Jerusalem to worship God. You know, many a times we ask this question, God, where are you? And we say, you know, we, I, I experience this thing that's unfair, there's evil, there's bad, and because of this, I don't believe in God anymore. How can God, a good God, allow this to happen? Surely, there's no such God. But you know, when we say such statements, there are two things we need to note. First, simply by saying, because I've experienced these things as unfair and evil, I don't believe in God, you actually presuppose a faith in God. Right? Because if you don't believe in God, then the thing that happens to you, how do you know it's evil? It's relative, right? And so if it's not truly evil or truly bad, how can you say that because it's bad, I don't believe in God? Okay, maybe you don't really understand. Let me share with you uh, Nietzsche, you know, the 19th century uh, atheist philosopher. There was this natural disaster. 200,000 people died. And Nietzsche made this statement. He says, 200,000 wiped out at one stroke. How magnificent. How great. See, Nietzsche was relentless in his logic. He believed that there was no God, so there's no good and evil, and 200 people, 1,000 dying is good. Maybe less pollution, you know? And if we do not believe in God, then who are we to say is wrong? And that is why Nietzsche told his fellow atheists, who had humanistic values, meaning they believe in social justice, they believe in human rights, but they didn't believe in God. He told them, you guys are covert Christians. You say you don't believe in God, you say you're atheists, but you're not. The fact that you believe in social justice and human rights means that you presuppose a belief in God. And so, we make this statement, this thing is unfair, how can God allow this? I don't believe in God. Firstly, you realise it's not a logical statement. Secondly, whether you believe in God or not, right? 
you have to face it, you know. It's not as if you say, I don't believe God that, that the evil people will not abuse the poor. I don't believe God that bad things don't happen. They still do. So the question is not whether you believe God or not. The question is how are you going to face it by yourself or with God by your side? With God, we have resources to face these challenges. In Scripture, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of, of, of saints, the support and prayers of the church, those are the resources God gives us to face struggles and challenges. And so we have to choose. Am I going to face it by myself or am I going to face it holding God's hands? It's not to say, you know, when we experience loss and pain, we do not struggle. Eli Weissel, a uh, survivor of the Holocaust, he won the Nobel Prize in 1986. Once he was interviewed and he says, you know, many people ask me, after I've experienced so much pain, how can I still believe in God? And I tell them, there are all the reasons in the world for me to give up on God. But I have the same reasons to give up on men, on culture, on education. And yet, I don't give up. I don't give up in humanity. I don't give up on culture. I don't give up on it. Look, I have faith, but it is a wounded faith. He says, you see, even if you don't believe in God, you find evil and wrong everywhere in education, in culture. I can also give up on those, but I don't. I don't give up on God. I have faith, but it is a wounded faith. The psalmist had a wounded faith. He came before God in despair and says, God, have you forgotten me? And then he spoke to himself, why are you in despair, oh my soul? He reminds himself, my hope is in God. I will yet praise Him. After verse 1 to 3, where he longs for the presence of God, he says, tears are his food day and night. He says, these things I remember. I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude of keeping festival. When they were in Jerusalem, it was their duty to lead people in worship. Seven times a year, there was a festival. Out of them, three festivals are major festivals where the people of Jerusalem, uh, of Israel, will come to Jerusalem. At that time, they were worshipping God, they were leading people, but it was their duty. Perhaps they missed out in the awe of God, the presence of God. But yet now, when they cannot have it, when they're far away from Jerusalem, they miss this presence of God. And he says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. They'll praise God for His presence. And so verse 1 to 5, the psalmist recalls what had happened. He recalls his desire for the presence of God. Things that he perhaps did not treasure when they had the opportunity, when they were doing it every day, when they were living in Jerusalem, where they had to serve at the temple every day. Just like us, you know, we get to worship freely. Maybe we don't treasure it until one day we cannot. Right? When COVID happens suddenly, wow, cannot worship. And the first few weeks when people could come back, I remember, you know, we, we came back in tears. Some people were tearing. I said, oh, I can finally come back to the house of God to worship. You know, C.S. Lewis, he became a Christian later in life. Fell in love, got married. And he said he never knew life could be so happy, you know, married life. Um, but his wife then died of cancer. So he went to depression. 
he came out and he wrote a book. See, that's the difference between those kind of people and us, right? We depress, we go spiraling. They depress, they write book. He wrote a book, The Problem of Grief. And that's where I got the quote I shared in the pastor's voice when he said, we are just going along life, you know, happily, just in our godless, contented state, uh, pursuing what we want. And then suddenly, stomach pain. Is it cancer? Oh yeah, chest pain. Is it heart attack? And then headline, you know, COVID or recession. And a whole house, everything we have built comes tumbling down like a house of cards. But it's only then, when everything comes tumbling down, that we begin to remind ourselves. It says that all these things, you know, our toys were never intended to possess my heart. That my true good is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. Perhaps it's only when we have lost something, when we are in despair, when life is not smooth sailing, that we realize my true good is not in this world. It's in another world. My only treasure is not the things that I can accumulate, but it's Christ. What is it that we are going through? We are grieving over or lost. Perhaps we find that there is no hope. But perhaps it's only in this time that we realize our hope is God. The only real treasure that we can bring with us is Christ. And so the psalmist asks, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? He asks, God, where are you in despair? Friends, you know, sometimes we, be, we think that being Christians, it means all the way is hallelujah and hosanna. Right? Praise God, happy, good. But when we look at Scripture, it is not. Scriptures, the people of God struggle in their faith. They, scripture doesn't whitewash their anguish. Theirs was a faith, not dry-eyed stoicism, meaning no feeling, no tears. But in Scripture, we see the people of God struggle. They protested, they doubted God, they questioned God, but theirs was a faith that was robust enough to wrestle with God. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have that kind of robust faith? Or is it simply papered over because life is good? Because we live in Singapore and there's not a lot of difficulties, you know? But when we hit a bump in the road, do we have something firm to stand on? That is the Word of God. A hope that is certain because our true good is not of this world and our real treasure is Christ. Yes, it's okay not to be okay. And we ask this question, where are you, God? But the psalmist points us to a solution. That is the hope in the sovereignty of God. He talks to himself, why are you in despair? You have to hope. It's just, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. He admits this. I remember you from the land of Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, which is the north, one of the mountains of Mazar. They're hiding in the caves. Deep calls to deep. At the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. He uses a metaphor that his troubles are like waves coming upon him one after another and he's just overwhelmed. He's pushed to the bottom of the ocean, deep calls to deep. It is only when he was totally overwhelmed, he realized that his deepest needs can only be met by God's deepest grace. The only way he can get out is by God's deepest wisdom. The only way they can be sustained is by God's deepest love. And that's why Scripture tells us, 
Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Psalms 92, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Can we really understand? Paul says, may we be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And how do we know this wisdom of God, unsearchable wisdom? How do we know the depth of God's love upon the cross? For God says, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. When Jesus came into this world, He died the death that we deserved so that we may live the life that we don't deserve. A life of intimacy with God. A life of hope despite the challenges. That we are saved by grace, not by our efforts, not simply by our goodness, but by the goodness of Christ. That is the gospel. A gospel, not something that we needed 20 years ago when we became Christians, but every day of our lives, we walk by faith. We walk by the grace of God. We walk by faith because when you look at the situation, maybe it's not good. Maybe you don't see hope, but we walk by faith. Because we know Christ has demonstrated God's love for us. You know, Psalm 42, um, Nicholas Waterstoff, who is a Harvard philosopher, when he lost his son, he said that was his greatest challenge of his life. All my life, he said, I followed a, a loving God. How can I reconcile this pain? And then again, no, he wrote a book called The Man of the Sun. Again, one of the, I think, most moving book of human suffering from a theistic point of view means believing there's God. He doesn't argue, he doesn't question God, but he says this in one, one paragraph. He says, I will see the world through tears. And perhaps I shall see things that dried eyed I could not see. Perhaps it's only in such situations that I begin to understand who God really is, who I truly am, my own depravity, my own needs, but how much I can rely on this God that we cannot experience when times are good. And so the psalmist tells us the Lord will command His loving kindness in daytime and His song will be with me at night, a prayer to the God of my life. He says he meditates on God's loving kindness and he sings a song. You know, when you said sometimes you sing song, right? What kind of song do you sing? You know, it's my favourite song when I sing to my kids when I'm sad. Nobody loves me, I'm nobody's child. Nobody wants me, I'm nobody's child. Something like that. You say, well, why are you sing this? Because I want to make them feel guilty. You know, I'm so unloved, so please love me, you know. But the psalmist didn't sing this sort of song, so that, that song is hopeless. He sing the song of God. God's loving kindness. And he says this song at night, he sings a song. And this song is the prayer to the God of my life. You know, when we are troubled, cannot sleep, we are troubled over issues, what we should do, you know, that's called worrying. But when we are troubled issues and how we should do this thing, but we bring it before God, that's called prayer. So it's a fine line, you know, between worrying and praying. He says, to the God of my life, this is my prayer. When words no longer suffice, I have no more words, I can sing. I can meditate on His loving kindness. His loving kindness is the word hesed, His favour, His grace. Despite all the challenges they are going through, he says, I meditate, I force myself 
to think of God's love and I'll still sing to God. And we can do this. When the psalmist asks this question, you know the five W's, who, what, where, when, why? All the things appear here. What also appear, but it's not as what, but he was telling those things. But there's one W that he didn't ask, which is, who? Oh, he has a lot of questions. Why did this happen? When was this going to end? Where, you know, are you God? But he never asked, who are you? He was very certain who he was talking to, the living God, hope in God, the God of my life, God, my rock. He had no questions of who this God is. Likewise for us, we have many questions. Why God, do I have to go through this? Why are my parents sick? Why is, is no, this job that I want, I can't get it? You know, when will this, this sickness end? But we don't have to ask who. Because we know. God demonstrated His love upon the cross. Psalm 42, 9-11 says, I will say to God, my rock, where, why have you forgotten me? My adversaries mock me, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Do you know when Jesus hung upon the cross, the sky turned dark. Something happened that never happened in eternity past nor eternity future. That God the Father and God the Son was separated and the darkness demonstrated God the Father turning away from His Son, abandoning Him. Why have you forgotten me? When Jesus was upon the cross, the people mocked Him, says, you are God, come down. Don't have right. What are they saying? They say, don't have, where is your God? Jesus was mocked and you know when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken is the same word here. Why are you in despair? And so when you think of the psalmist of Psalm 42, what he went through, abandonment, mocking, despair, Jesus bore the ultimate abandonment. He bore the ultimate mocking. He bore the ultimate depression and despair. Why? So that when you and I, we go through abandonment, we are being abandoned, you feel that you're in despair, when people are mocking you, we know that I'm not alone. Christ has gone through this. He is there with you. He says, but I cannot see. And that is why he says, he meditates upon the Word of God, meditates upon His goodness. He sings to himself as a prayer to God. And he says, oh, my soul, why are you in despair? Hope in God because I will yet praise Him. It's a determination that I will do it. Jeremy Chu, when he was going through his whole situation, you know, he said, all my life I followed God. I know that He's faithful. I intend to continue to follow Him. Why should I stop just because of this one incident? I know God has the answers but He doesn't have to tell me. So I prayed that God would give me strength that I'll follow Him day by day. Yet it was not easy. He shared about this whole year where he couldn't function. He had panic attacks. He quit his job. He just stayed at home. And he realized he still had two teenage daughters to take care of. He said, I couldn't even prepare dinner for them. And then one day I heard God ask me, are you able to prepare dinner? I said, no. Well, then are you able to put the rice in the rice cooker? Yep, that I can do. Are you able to put the fish into the oven? Sure. 
Are you able to lay out the dishes? Are you able to do the next thing? And before I realized, dinner was prepared. And what he was sharing was that he realized God was telling him, just take a bit of faith to take the first step. The first step to do the next thing. The task may be too, too big for you. You feel that I cannot. I cannot overcome this. I cannot do this. But God is just saying, take the next step and just do the next task. One task at a time. The psalmist says, in times of trouble, he asks, where is God in my despair? And he tells us to hope in the sovereignty of God. I suppose what is our response? It is to think about His loving kindness by day and His song by night. The Lord will command, He meditates on God's goodness and He sings God's song as a prayer to the God of His life. You know, when I look at Psalm 42, I realize a lot of my prayers are like Psalm 42. Maybe I'm always whining, okay, but I need to talk to myself. Oh, why are you so depressed? And learn this, you know, one day because I was sharing my accountability partner. I think maybe he was a bit tired of hearing me whine. So he referred me to the Bible. He says, you know, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He says, where, where, where? So if first, first Samuel 36, David was distressed. The people was going to stone him, his own people. For all the people who embittered each one because of their sons and daughters who were, who were taken away by the enemies and they wanted to kill David. And what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. Another version says he encouraged himself in the Lord. How did David encourage himself to the Lord? By talking to himself. Maybe like Psalms 42, he asked, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? You know, many times when we are in despair, you feel we cannot go on anymore. We need to listen to ourselves. What are we saying? And acknowledge that because those feelings are real, but we don't stop there. We begin to bring them, bring them before God and we talk to ourselves. And that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you know, do you realize much of the unhappiness in our lives? It's because we listen to ourselves rather than we talk to ourselves. We need to learn to talk to ourselves, to come bring, it, bring those words before God and remind ourselves of who God is, what God has done and what God has pledged to do. And then bit by bit, Defy ourselves. Defy what the world says. Defy what the devil says. When the people says, nobody loves you. You cannot make it. You are nobody's child. But we bring it before the scripture. And what does God say? That we are a child of God. He has lavished His love abundantly for us. Therefore, God so loved the world, He gave us His Son, that we need to understand the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we need to talk to our souls, we need to talk to ourselves using God's Word. But how much time do we spend reading God's Word? Are we familiar with what the Word of God says? If not, all the voices we hear is from the K-drama, right? Or the internet. Things we spend time on. John White was a Christian psychologist. It says during his time of depression, he learned to really study the Word of God. Not simply to read it devotionally, to get uplifting. He says through that time, he studied the prophecies of Hosea. He said, huh? Read <laughs> prophecies of Hosea? You should read Psalms or Gospel where Jesus do miracles, you know. He says you read it not just devotionally, but really dig into Scripture, 
read up the references. It says, as I wrestle with God's Word, I feel my faith come back to me, that the ground beneath my feet get firmer and I'm able to stand up in faith. To know God's Word. And so the question is, do we know God's Word? Do we know Jesus? Not do you come to church? Not do you serve in the ministry? But when all hell breaks loose, do you truly know Jesus that you can come before Him and pour out your soul? Where are you, O God? But I will still hope in Christ. And so first, I think we learn to talk to ourselves, to remind ourselves of what the Word of God says, what God says of us, to be determined to continue to walk with Him, to keep our hope in Him. But the psalmist also thinks back of what God has done. To think back the faithfulness of God, to know that God will continue to lead him. And here's where I encourage you to keep a journal. You know, many a times I will go back and read all my journals because I keep it electronically. And those special ones, I think of a red star. So I just click red star, all the red star come out. Then I just read them one by one. You know, to remind myself of what God has done. Many times, I must say as a pastor, you know, you deal with people and you feel heartbroken for them, for the choices they make. You wish you could do something, you wish you could change them, but you know you cannot. Only God can. And over time, sometimes you feel like, why am I doing this, you know? Am I really making a difference? And those are the times when I whine and I need to talk to my own soul. Those are the times when I need to read scripture, I need to read my journal and see what God has done. And so, this few weeks, I searched for Psalm 42 and in the last 10 years, three entries of Psalm 42 turned up. One of them is this. Lord, thank you for your word. My hope is in you. My soul longs for you. My song shall be a prayer in my heart. This week, as I was dealing with my grandmother's cancer diagnosis, so this was probably in 2009, God reminded me from Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time appointed for everything. There's a time for every event under the heaven. A time of birth, a time to die. I was still in the States at that time. I got the news of my grandmother who brought me up. She, she has cancer. On Tuesday, we went for our 16-week sonogram. And it was such a joy to see the, those little things moving in my wife's womb. We've got one boy and the other is shy. So we don't know yet. Now we know it's a... It's not recorded. <laughs> okay, never mind. Don't say bad things about her. It's a wonderful girl. But it was such a poignant reminder. A time for birth, a time for death. Through it all, God knows and He is in charge. You know, as I read Psalm 42, I realized I remember that time when I wish I could come back to Singapore. I wish I could force my grandmother to believe Jesus so her soul would be saved. But I just cannot. On the flight back, uh, my kids were just given birth. I think it was two or three months. My grandmother died. So I flew back on my own. And in my mind, I was talking to myself. I was saying, why are you so downcast on my soul? You know who God is. You know who Jesus is? I will yet praise Him because He is my hope. And so today as we approach this issue of grief and despair, from Psalm 42, David shows us his hope is in God. For us, the hope is in the risen Christ to know that our real good, our true good is in another world and our real treasure is in Christ. And we learn, firstly, to speak to ourselves with God's Word, to study God's Word, that it becomes the firm foundation of our lives 
and we keep a record of God's goodness in our lives. So that in times of need, when we don't feel God, we say, God, where are you? We turn back and we see the footsteps of God's faithfulness. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. For it is your word, in your word that we have hope. In your word, we find truth. In your word, we find love. And at times of despair, truly, Lord, we are like the deer that thirst, that pants for the water brooks as we pant for your presence. And I pray, for my brothers and sisters, for what they are wrestling with. Surely, God, not all of us are in despair, but perhaps there are some. Only you know the scars and hurts of our hearts. And I pray you lift them up. That we learn not just to listen to ourselves, listen to our hearts and do what our hearts desire, but we listen to you. We learn to speak to ourselves with your, using your word. That our eyes may be lifted up to Christ who suffered the ultimate despair, ultimate abandonment, ultimate loss. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let us stand and sing this song in response. Sing it to yourselves. <laughs>